It's episode 64 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the program is creativity evangelist Denise Jacobs. She's the author of the book, Banish Your Inner Critic, and is here to discuss the difficulties designers face in the creative process and how to get unstuck. Denise, thanks for being on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. What, a, what an honor and a pleasure and a delight. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. I am really looking forward to this uh, because, frankly, I'm going to use you for about 45 minutes of therapy, if you don't mind. Okay. No, I'm for it. <laughs> I'm, I, I am here for you and everybody else who is listening to this. Fantastic. Um, have, you, have you seen the movie Free Solo? No, but I've heard I've heard amazing things about it, and a friend of mine's like, "You have to watch." Yeah, I have this. to. I think everybody should just go out after they finish listening to this podcast. Just go watch it. Um, there's this guy named Alex. He's this young guy. He is a rock climber, uh, and he is uh, attempting the first uh, free solo climb of El Cap El Capitan in. Um, right in Yosemite. I don't know how many Eiffel, Eiffel Towers or Empire State Buildings tall it is, but it's huge. It's the biggest thing. And free solo means going without ropes. So right. once you get more than 30, 40 feet off the ground, you fall, you die, right? Right. There's this scene that I thought was appropriate for our conversation here where uh, he gets a brain scan and they show his brain scan <gasps> and a, a normal person brain scan. And he's got like no amygdala. Like, right. you know, and a normal person, and that's like the little, little piece in your brain deep down inside, like by your brainstem that processes fear and activates mm -hmm. your body to like freak out. Right. The right. fight or flight fight all comes from, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like on one picture of the, of the, of a random person, it's like, you know, lit up. They show people pictures of snakes and spiders and things like that and do the scan. And it's like bright orange and red and on his, it's like, like cool blue and green. And this, so this kid just does not experience fear. So he is a thousand feet up and he's holding on with his, just his fingertips and like one toe. Right. And he just, you know, there's no internal response to that. It is almost to him. Like this is an intellectual exercise and he's got it memorized and he's doing that. And, mm -hmm. uh, I was, it's fascinating. And that's like the core of the story is his ability to, or inability to process emotion and how it's beneficial in parts of his life and, and not very really problematic and really others. problematic with his, you know, say his girlfriend, right? So, right, right, with like relationships. Uh, anyway, I feel like so, so much of what I read about the creative process, like these productivity and creativity and all of this stuff, comes from people with a similar mutation, right? And until I saw your book, but like this idea of like, look, you just like, stop thinking about it or whatever, like these, these trite ways of like, you know, and some of people are very much about the process, just sit down and do it every day. And then pretty mm -hmm. soon that voice inside of you will start to go away and the fear will subside and stuff like that. I, and I've never experienced that. I've always had the fear. So okay. it wasn't that's, until that's impressive coming from you, from, you know, all the things that you've done, let me you tell know, you. creatively and everything in your life. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. So I have this job now where, right. we, where I'm an investor and we have all of these founders and these founders have amazing companies, far more successful than the companies I've created in my past. <laughs> I mean, like one of ours is Fitbit. One of ours is Peloton. Like we have had, mm. like, I mean, like these are founders of companies that have 2000 people and they're doing a hundred million dollars in revenue. So like, holy crap, right? Mm -hmm. And we get them all together. And I'm not going to tell you anything about what anybody says because we keep this all very private. But we have this, this, this meeting once a year, this uh, weekend, where all the founders get together. And mm -hmm. the level of vulnerability and the unbelievable mm -hmm. amount of imposter syndrome that comes out of those uh, mm -hmm. settings. And these are people that... Uh, again, on the outside, like, oh my God, the founder, the right. cover of Forbes and like on CNN money talk or whatever it is, you know, and, and at the same time, we're wrestling with these same things that everybody wrestles with and feel like I don't, I don't belong in this room. And so, so thing I find really interesting. So, so it's, uh, I'm just going to jump in here. Um, yes. So, so the kind of thing that started me all of, through with dealing with the inner critic and all this stuff was because I was dealing with my own creative process, right? Like I was writing my first book, um, the CSS detective guide. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like every day was, you know, basically confronted my, my inner critic was like literally like sitting at the breakfast table, like, good morning. I made you a little coffee. And I was like, Oh, you again. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, what are you doing here? I thought we, I thought we talked about this. And, um, 
And so like every day I had to deal with it. And it was only until I got to the end of writing that book and I was actually designing the website or, you know, I was, this was back in the days where you still did Photoshop mock-ups. Sure. Um, and so I was doing the mock-up, you know, it totally dates me. People are just like, what do you mean? It wasn't, it wasn't responsive. I'm like, Shh, shut up. It, it hasn't been around forever. Um, so, um, so I was doing the mock-up and I had this like, like wonderful, amazing flow state. And I realized that the reason I was in the flow state was because it was the first time in nine months that I didn't have an inner critical voice. It was the first time that I wasn't criticizing my design, that I wasn't second guessing it or mm. wondering whether it was any good or what people would think or if I'm a good enough designer. Like I didn't think any of that stuff. I was just in the process and just in the flow. And that's what kind of triggered me to start thinking about like, wait a minute, like what what is the creative process? How does that work? And, you know, how do you get to a place where you're in a place of creative flow? And even then I hadn't really entirely identified the inner critic, but when I started doing research, I started seeing like, oh, you literally can't get to creative flow until you silence those voices. Like those voices will literally impede the process. They will like, you know, block the process. And so Interestingly, now, you know, I've been kind of working with this content and working with these concepts and everything since like 2011. And then when I started talking about banishing your inner critic kind of as on it on its own, then people were just like, oh, my God, you're in my head. Ah!" (laughs) And um, so I felt like I hit a nerve, which is why I decided to write the book on it. Well, interestingly enough. And now, you know, like you and I met like ages and ages ago, and it was, you know, before, you know, any of us had really necessarily in some ways, like really kind of come into these like intense leadership roles or Mm. founding companies or anything like that. And so now like our cohort are all people who are like, I founded a company. I'm, you know, working with venture capital. I'm working with this. I'm doing this. And the interesting thing, just like you said, is you would think that once you get up a certain level of authority and expertise and you know no, you know being known and all this stuff that your inner critic would go away but it's <laughs> almost the opposite and i actually like to think of this as the inner critic paradox the higher up you get and the more success you get in some ways the louder your inner critic gets right yeah the yeah, more yeah suffer from imposter syndrome, the more you, you know, doubt yourself, the more responsibility you have. And so the more you feel responsible for other people. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite huge and burdensome. So in a lot of ways now I'm starting to focus, you know, I still, of course, creativity is like my love and my heart and, you know, my, you know, home and everything, but I'm starting to focus more towards working with leaders and working with folks like you, you know, that you have in your, in your, um, you know, with, with the retreat and the organization and stuff Yeah, yeah, yeah. with people like that and being like, look, I know it's real. And I also know that, you know, like you probably saw, there's nobody to talk to about it, right? When you are the, you know, CEO of a company that's, you know, got 2000 employees and you're being interviewed on money talk and blah, 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 blah people don't take you seriously when you're like, I have imposter syndrome. They're like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like, you know, my, what I really want to do is I want to like, what I'm starting to do now is work more with in leadership and work with leaders and helping them with, you know, having tools and having a methodology and having an approach to Mm -hmm. deal with imposter syndrome and the inner critic and everything, because, but you don't have that outlet, right? Nobody's going to pay, you know, like listen to you and take you seriously. If you save you imposter syndrome, when you run a, you know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar company, they're just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, there's that, right? Absolutely. That it seems so improbable. There's also the aspect of it that just in a position of leadership, it may be inappropriate to share that kind of stuff. Like if exactly. you sit, sit down in exactly. front of your employees and say, I'll tell you what, I couldn't sleep last night. And the reason why is because I'm worried we're going to run out of money and I'll have to fire all of you. Right. Like nope. that's not going to go very well. <laughs> so, so it becomes this very isolating experience of, uh, I have even stronger, all of these fears that I had earlier in my career and, right. um, I can't, there's nobody to share it with. So exactly. Exactly. 
So I'm the person. People can share it with me. So I, I was uh, joking a little bit about saying we should do therapy here, but uh, I, we say that to all of our founders very directly. And I say that to young designers all the time too, which is that like therapy is not for crazy people. Therapy mm -hmm. is actually an hour a week where you get to say whatever you want without any consequences or judgment. And how, oh my God, how good that feels. And by the way, if you have some stuff to work out with like, you know, your dad from 20 years ago, we can do that here too. But the reality is just come in and complain about your coworkers for a while. It'll feel right. really good. So, um, and the other thing too, is that, I mean, the thing I like, I love about therapy is that, you know, you get somebody who's not deep in the midst of it. So you get, you know, the, the level of perspective and then you know, if you're, if you kind of set it up in that way, or you have a therapist who's, who does the sort of thing, then you get tools, right? I mean, cause it's oh, God, like, yeah. it's one thing to just be able to, you know, to complain about something. It's another thing to have somebody say, okay, here's a reframe. Here's a different way of looking at this. Here's something you can do when you feel like that. Yep. Do this. So good. So good. And your, your book has a lot of that in it. I was, I was mm -hmm. going through there, lots of these techniques and stuff like that. So, but, but I guess, you know, the, the first question is, where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's, it, you start, I mean, it's, it's, it's when I think the first thing place is actually just to, just to realize, just to get in touch with your inner critical voice. Like mm. some people, they kind of know it's there, but they work so hard to try to run away from it that they, <laughs> that they're just like, you know, maybe in denial a little bit about like what those or what that voice is or don't, you know, the, the, the thoughts come up and then the reaction happens. Cause I can't remember if it's cognitive behavioral therapy, it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's not that you feel an emotion. It's that you, something is a trigger. You have a thought and then the thought generates the emotion. Yeah. Right. So it's, kind of getting in touch with what those thoughts are so that you can change the, the relationship or you can change the process or you can change, you know, what happens between having the thought and then the emotion that results from it. One way I think about that is as almost like a reflex, like that mm -hmm. you might use in sports physically, you know, like that you practice and practice, get better at, better at, and you could like train yourself to follow the ball all the way to the bat and then mm -hmm. off it goes, right? And and mm -hmm. and you can get really good at that. It's the same when there are triggers in your environment that cause reaction within you that you can mm -hmm. get better and better at catching it and saying, mm -hmm. like, ooh, this thing just happened. I'm feeling a lot of anger, let's say. Right. And I'm going to make a choice about how I process this anger now. Is the right, right thing to do scream at somebody, stomp around, or is the right mm -hmm. thing to do name it, say it out loud? You know, mm -hmm. there are so many different choices that you could have around that. Um, and I think that's always been the, the, one of the things I, I, I have been able to do it in many regards for different sets of emotions, but that like that sitting in front of the blank screen and having that fear come up, that's the one that is always the hardest where it's mm. just like, Oh my God, everything from the judgment to the, mm. uh, anxiety, just all of it just come, you know, crashing in all at once and to catch it and say, ah, there it is again. There it I, is. I Hi, feel it. How you doing? It's right. manifest in a physical, physically in my body. I can feel it like in my chest. You know, people feel it. Uh, we call it butterflies, right? Like mm -hmm. in your stomach, like people feel it all over the place. I often get it in my shoulders, like tense right uh -huh. up. You're like, ah, uh -huh. you know, like here it is. But then you're like, oh, I've identified it. Now I can work through that physical sensation and make a choice about how I want to respond to this. But it's mm -hmm. hard. Oh yeah. I know there's nothing I there's nowhere that I have I've said anywhere like in my books or in my talks I'm like it's super easy. <laughs> it's the the techniques themselves are simple techniques in a lot of ways, but the process, I mean there's I don't, you know, I wouldn't say that there's anything like quote easy unquote about the process. It's, you know, it's process, processes and emotions and, you know, dealing with your, you know, kind of going deep inside and dealing with your, your psyche and stuff. I mean, that, that can be, that can be effort. That can be work, you know? It, yeah. It, it can appear simple, but it, it, yeah. right. But it's not easy. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. right, right and right. it's one of those things that, you know, I, I mean, one of the, it's in the book, one of the things that I did was I kind of tried to identify the different kind of ways that you could look at what's happening, like the different ways the inner critic shows up, basically, like whether it's fear of being judged or if it's because you're like super highly self-critical 
or if you're comparing yourself to other people, or if you're just kind of really afraid that you're not creative at all, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, then when you sit down at the screen, you, you can kind of go, oh, you know, my fear is that I'm afraid of being judged by other people, right? And then you have kind of a, a range of options of things that you can choose or you can look at where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, ju- I'm going to be judged because of this or, you know, I'm afraid I'm not good enough if you feel like you're deficient, then you can kind of deal with each of those in a different way. That's great. Right. Yeah. That's so that's another thing that I think I have learned over the years is that the better our emotional vocabulary, the higher our mm. emotional intelligence, right? Like the better we're able to respond to say, like you just said, like the difference between I'm feeling judged versus uh, I'm not a creative person is very different. I can be very creative, mm-hmm. but terrified of judgment. Like I don't want any criticism, right? As opposed right. to I've got nothing inside of me. And you take a different approach for each one of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. cool. All right. I got questions about that that I want to uh, ask you, but we're going to take a little break and talk about one of our sponsors, and that is our friends over at Moo. Uh, you have probably heard of Moo, but on the off chance that you haven't, you have almost certainly uh, been handed a business card made uh, by Moo because they are just everywhere and they have been for a long time. Uh, Moo offers premium print products. Uh, that includes business cards, but also postcards, notebooks, all sorts of stuff. And they deliver them around the world to very happy customers. So you probably know that no matter what your job is, networking is an important part of kind of any career. It's whether you're a designer or like a novelist or even CEO, you don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at that crucial moment when you're meeting somebody. So you can be prepared and show your creativity at the same time by having your own business cards made with Moo. See, uh, what I love about Moo is that great design is at the heart of everything that they do. There is nothing like a slick, well-made business card to make a first impression. Now, not only are they super easy to design and order with their online interface, but Moo business cards offer all the special touches. Like if you want gold foiling or spot gloss, uh, anything that can allow your artwork to really stand out. They have uh, great paper. You can get really thick or textured paper if that's what you want. Uh, er Everything that you need really for a high-quality, memorable business card. Uh, It's great to see your work on the screen. Right, And we spend all this time making these digital products, but man, it's really great to be able to hold something in your hands. So you can count on Moo to help you make this great first impression, whether you need a business cards uh, for you know some meetings that you're going to, or customized flyers for an upcoming event, or even stickers or greeting cards or notebooks, postcards, whatever you need, uh, they got you covered. Moo's notebooks, for example. Oh, these are great. They're relatively new uh, offering. Uh, they're available both in soft and hardcover. Uh, you can customize them with your brand if you order more than 50. The hardcover notebooks have a really tough tactile cloth cover. Um, the soft ones are lightweight. They've got a sewn-in binding. They're gorgeous. Seriously, great quality. I've been carrying a, uh, one of these around for a couple of months now, uh, and I, I feel really good when I pull it out at a meeting. I think it, they look fantastic. So uh, make sure you check out their collaboration with the graphic designer, Kate Morris, as well. Really, really high-quality stuff. So whatever you need, they've got you covered with their easy customization options. I remember Move from years and years ago. Oh, God, at least 10 years ago when I first met them. I was on a trip over to London, and I met the founder, Richard. And, uh, and they had just come out with this amazing collaboration with Flickr where you could get business cards printed, uh, in this interesting sort of like half size format that were really kind of unique and stood out. And then you could have your Flickr photos printed on the back and every card could be different. And it was amazing. We hadn't seen anything like that. Uh, I've been so impressed with how they have grown that company over the past decade with this unrelenting focus on quality, uh, ease of use, uh, and just like design at the center of what they do. So, um, you should try them, uh, get some business cards, get a notebook, uh, you're not going to regret this. Uh, and if you order now, uh, you can get 15% off. Uh, so go to moo.com. That's M O O.com. Use the code, the promo code print 15. That's P R I N T 15 at checkout. Once again, that's moo.com promo code print 15. Thanks to Moo for their support of presentable and all of relay FM Moo, Let's get physical. <laughs> 
All right. So the questions I have are then if we can identify some of the emotions that we're feeling in these moments when we feel stuck, like what can we do about it? What what are some of the, I don't know, the exercises that you work through to help people get unstuck, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's so many. <laughs> and you know, the, the funny thing is, is that um, I just got done um, recording an online course with LinkedIn Learning. Oh, that and, was didn't that like used to be Lynda.com? Linda it Weinman. used to be Lynda.com. Yep. And um and so that's coming out like at the end of June. And so it's really funny because like basically all last week I was like deep in all of my content. And for some reason or another, right now I'm kind of drawing a blank. But um I'll I kind of pick some pick and choose some some things that are were that kind of stand out in my head um that we that we talked about last mm-hmm. week. So um one of the things that happens a lot is that people compare themselves to other people. And I know that I certainly fall prey to this where, you know, you look at somebody and you say, oh my God, they've done all this amazing stuff and I haven't done as much or their artwork or their, you know, their designs are so much better than mine and whatnot. And so one of the things I recommend to people is to, um, First of all, that there's a really great adage that I like to repeat to myself just to keep myself on track, which is that you can't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Exactly. And, um, and that you, you know, and that you like, you know, make a pact to like not compare yourself to people that you barely know on the internet or acquaintances on Facebook. And, um, and then what I always recommend to people is to like, just really, you know, kind of put a laser focus on what you've done and to see the progress that you've made. So, you know, maybe you're not like, you know, Steven Stagmeyer, you know, level Mm -hmm. design, but if you look at what you've done five years ago compared to now, I'm sure that there's like, you know, an amazing progression. And so look at what you've done and just say, wow, like I've really done, you know, I've really come a long way. Um, And to compare yourself and basically I call it apples to, you know, apples to apples. You compare yourself to yourself rather than comparing yourself to some, you know, completely lauded, you know, superstar, somebody who you don't, you have no idea what their process was like, right? Like you have no idea that they're not at this very moment kicking themselves for not being good enough for something. Right. So, um, so that's one of the things that I, I, um, I recommend to people. And then the other thing too, is that, um, you know, a lot of times people get like you were talking about, like fear of being judged, for example. And a lot of times people get so wrapped up into being afraid of what's like, what's happening on the exterior with their work, but they're not really, having a relationship with the work themselves. Hmm. So, um, what I like to do, so I have a, a, this is one of my kind of creativity techniques, um, is when you're creating something or you're coming up with ideas for something, instead of trying to, instead of feeling like, or believing that the idea is your idea and that you try, you're trying to make this idea perfect is to treat the idea like it is an idea that chose you and that it is that you're the vehicle oh. or the channel through which the idea is coming. And so instead of saying, I have to make this idea perfect, what you're doing instead is you're listening basically to the spirit of the idea and you're in service to that. Nice. Oh, I like yeah. that. It, it's it, very reminiscent of uh, some things I've read about pain management and, and um, uh, mindfulness, right? This mm-hmm. idea of, of not just disassociating from the pain, but, mm-hmm. but changing your language to stop saying like, I am in pain and I have this pain and my foot hurts as opposed to there's pain here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. observing it from that trick, but doing that in a very creative sense is not something I had considered before. That's really interesting. There is yeah. an idea here, mm-hmm. you know, and I might as well work on it. Right. Since I'm here. Right. <laughs> and not like, only right? that, but like this idea is already, already knows what it wants to be. It has chosen me to be the vehicle through which it comes into the world. You know, the idea is like this amorphous 
spirit type of thing for a lack of a better term. And it like basically uses you like you're like an avatar, right? And it like it rides you and it uses your limbs and your brain and, you know, everything to like become manifested into the world. Cool. And so instead of you trying to figure out this amazing thing, all you have to do is like for me, like, and I've done this, I used to do this. I've done this with like presentations. I've done this with chapter, you know, book chapter parts and stuff like that, where I say, okay, tell me what it is you want me to say. And then I'll just, I'll just, I'll take a, like a walk and I'll just try to capture all the ideas and anything that comes to me, I'll be like, it's not my idea. It's the idea telling me what it wants me to do. Right. Which can help you kind of separate from the criticism, right? Because they are just criticizing that idea, not me. Right. Not only it helps you separate from the criticism and helps you separate from the judgment. And then it makes you kind of in a, in a way like you commune with the idea and the creative process itself. And you, you, you know, you allow yourself to kind of dive in and kind of let, you know, get really immersed in that. And when you're in that place, then of course you hit flow and there's no room for the inner critic. The inner critic actually can't be present when you're in flow and vice versa. You can't have flow when the inner critic is present. So as soon as you kind of release that, like all of those, you know, inner critical thoughts and all that thinking, then you open up the door. It's like you just open up the channel and things can actually start flowing to you and through you. We should talk a little bit about flow. That has been a very powerful sort of uh, framework for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, over the, I, I read the book. I'm going to try to pronounce his name. I think it's uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Is that about no. right? Sorry, no, no? I, that's not it. Okay, uh, so I had a friend who was Hungarian. Who yeah, I can't. I shouldn't have even editor. tried. <laughs> it's okay. So this is my closest approximation right, to it. It's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. That's it. Oh, there's there's far fewer uh, syllables than I thought. Okay, yeah, because it's thirty or forty letters in there. So it's yeah, an, there's anyway. a lot of, but there's a whole lot of, but it's like this the, the Mahali looking type of thing is exactly. like actually. Mahali. All right, good, we got it. Anyway, there will be a link to this book in the show notes, so you don't have to try to figure out what we're talking about if you're listening now. <laughs> um, but the book is called Finding Flow, and mm-hmm. was fundamental for me. I think 15 years ago, the book's been out for quite a while. Mm-hmm. about these what what exactly these flow states are and kind of he did uh, a pretty thorough uh study of uh, people in creative professions everything from athletes to writers to to everything about this experience of of time disappearing and um and and just literally the 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 work flowing out of people right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i have experiences from time to time and and, and i i often get it like getting lost in creating a presentation, you know, being in mm-hmm. keynote and, and there's mm-hmm. a, there's a bunch of qualities to it, right? One is deep, deep, uh, mastery of a tool. Mm-hmm. So for example, I can, I've used keynote so much in my life that, uh, it feels like it's wired right into the brainstem. I just got, just like, I don't have to think at all. There's no cognition that goes into the tool. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it just becomes to work. And, and then there is this balance between, I think, something being too easy and something being too hard. And you, yep, but if something's too easy, you get bored. And if something's right. too hard, you get frustrated. And so right. you find this like, it's just kind of teetering between the two of them, that kind of mm-hmm. back and forth, like, ah, oh, a little too hard. Oh, no, I got this. Ah, no, I got, yeah, it's too easy. Oh, no, no, shoot, another challenge, right? And that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then um, I think the last bit has always been this like uh, rapid iterative feedback. Mm-hmm. Right to yep. know, like, is this right? Is this not? Just course correcting all along, and you put those things together, and you can get into these states. So, and you can get into a flow state. And usually, also, you know, to add to that is like a distraction-free environment. So, yes, right. when you you know that you, you know, but there's not going to be any interruptions or anything like that. But yeah, and I'm not sure if it was Mihai Chusmihai who called it this, but it, they call it a flow channel. And so, it's because you're basically in that kind of walking that line or, you know, finding that balance between the challenge and the skill, you know, so you have the right level of challenge, you have the right level of skill, just like you were talking about. And then when you can stay in that place, that's, you get into what's called a flow channel. Yeah. 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 But they can be very almost impossible. I think in modern workplace to get into, I've just about, I always have to go somewhere else. And, and, and I also don't get to decide when they are. 
No, nope. which, which but is that's even the other thing about flow is that yeah. you can't you can't control when it happens. You just you know basically all you can do is set up the conditions for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then and then and then you know do your thing. Have your challenge, your skill, your distraction free environment, and a you know a few other um, parts to the to the puzzle. And then more likely than not, you will get into flow. But it is there's no guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, I, that's the part I find kind of funny about it. You're like, so wait, I you can't control it. It's like, yeah, no, sorry, right? <laughs> sorry, nope. But that's okay because you know, getting those, getting those, um, those pieces in place. I mean, in some ways, for me, I mean, I feel like that's enjoyable in and of itself. And not only that, but most like, like I said, most likely, you know, probably good solid eighty five, ninety percent of the time you have those things, you will get into flow. No, it's, it's, you would, the only thing is, is you get knocked out of it when the challenge becomes too great or if it becomes, or becomes not enough, you know, like you said, if it get if it's too much and you're like, I, this is out far beyond my purview, or if you're bored, if you start getting bored because there's not enough challenge, Mm. or if you, the skill is more than what you have, or again, it's less than, you know, it's, you're, you're too skilled. Yeah, th- th- and there's also the the sort of modern conundrum of the fact that the device we use to create our work is the device we use to entertain ourselves as well. Uh-huh, and I, find, uh-huh. I find that very frustrating. It, it, <laughs> it is frustrating. Remember back in the day? I mean, I you know I have these moments where I'm just like, God, you know, literally maybe not ten years ago, but fifteen years ago. I mean, I would turn my computer on with my big, you know, big old, you know, RT, whatever. Uh, oh, the big CRTs that took literally your whole desk. Yeah, yeah. And I had a big one because I was like, you know, I wanted to geek out. And I was like, I would turn my computer on and I would you know, like go and work, do some email. And then and then I would turn it off. Boop, that was it. Like it <laughs> was not it on all the time. I wasn't like surfing the web endless, endlessly. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Instagram. I wasn't checking to see who did what on Twitter. Like none of that was happening. I wasn't te- checking my email obsessively. I just turned it on, did a few things, and then turned it off. <laughs> and like, like my evenings were evenings. You know, like, I mean, I would get a, I would get a VHS, I would get a, (laughs) or I get a DVD from, uh, from Blockbuster. (laughs) And you would watch the whole thing and sit in front of it and just look at that one screen. It's it's remarkable. My my children have no concept of how any of that works, but (laughs) let's talk a little bit about this, this concept or, or this, this fear, this inner voice telling us we're not creative people. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating is like if you find the average adult and ask them to draw a picture of a bird or draw a picture of a house, they will draw that bird or that house as if they were a third grader, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what the picture will look like with exceptions, mm-hmm. of course, but for most people, like they draw the house and it's like a box with a triangle on top, you know? And that is because we stopped progressing in our drawing abilities in the third or fourth grade when mm-hmm. we first entered the social dynamics and frankly, our peers started laughing at us. So we right. immediately shut or, down, shut down the creativity. Like that's yeah. it. I'm not a creative person because I can't handle this. Right. Right. Or the teacher was just like, Oh, yeah. that's not a really, you know, what is or, that? you know, it's like, cause it's like every kid likes to draw pretty much every kid likes to draw up until like a certain thing. And then there's this, this time where this becomes a divide where you're either good at it or you're not good at it. Right. And yeah. then, and then from that point on, and you know, I happen to be kind of, I guess in the fortunate group where I was good at drawing. So I would draw stuff and people would be like, Oh my God, that's uh-huh. amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And you know, like I got encouraged that way, but I don't, I don't know what my life would have been like had I not been in that group. Cause I, you know, that was something that I identified as, but the other thing is too, is that you know, and I, I know that schools have, are, have changed a lot in terms of what they offer in terms of quote, creative things, unquote. Hmm, But, you know, there's also in terms of just society in general, there's such a narrow view of what being creative is. It's either you're good at drawing or you're good at writing or you're good at music or you're a dancer. 
Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. like, and that's the extent that, that mean, that means you're creative. Oh, you, you're so creative. And you can't just actually, even with writing, if you're a nonfiction writer, then you're not creative. But if you're a fiction writer, <laughs> you're creative, right. And you're just like, wait, it's the same, it's a similar process. So one of the things that I encourage people a lot, and because I, you know, you know, my background, and just like you is in the, you know, web industry and in and, and tech and stuff like that is I am always working to help people get in touch with how they're creative, not whether or not they're creative. Mm. I'm like, look, here's the deal. Everybody's creative. Full stop. This is not a question of whether or not you're creative. I don't care if you're a developer. I don't care if you're a business analyst. I don't care if you're a financial. I don't care if you're a scientist. I don't care what it is. You are creative. So let's just take that question off the table. Now, let's talk about the real question, which is, how are you creative? Right. And so what I usually, what I do to help people get in touch with that is actually go back to flow. And I'm like, where, when are you in a flow state? Like, what is happening? What what are you doing when you're in a flow state? Most likely, that is the place that you're creative, right? If, is it, you know, like, is it when you're doing something in keynote? Uh, is it when you're, you know, a, cr- creating a party or you're like, you know, organizing an event? Is it when you're coming up with ideas on how to like create a business? Like, when are you creative? Mm-hmm. Because, or you, when are you in flow? And that's when you, that's when you can start getting in touch with how you are creative, where you are creative and how you are creative. Not if, mm-hmm. because if isn't the question. I wonder if there's a, um, kind of a nuance on that or an angle to this. Uh, hmm. I have somebody who's very, uh, very close to who, who feels very creative, but feels like the thing that she is creative in is not valuable. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. I wonder if you've mm-hmm. seen that sort of thing before. Like I love doing this and I do it all the time, but I don't think anybody wants it. I don't think anybody needs any of this or mm. nobody thinks this right. is very valuable at all. And, and I would, you know, I would argue like, have you seen some of the things that are available? <laughs> Like, have you seen what people are are actually making money doing? Like, it's sometimes oh, spend it's, ten minutes on YouTube. It's <laughs> right. It's it's startling sometimes. I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Somebody paid you how much to do what? Yeah. Um. So you know, I kind of feel like it's valuable. It's valuable to somebody. You know, and even stuff. I mean, even I, who would I? I met. I, I meet. You know, interesting. And I'm sure this happens to you too. I meet interesting people on the airplane. And sometimes people will say, oh, I work in so-and-so industry. And I think, I know that that, like, that exists, but for some reason or another, it never occurred to me that somebody would have a job doing that. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, oh, uh-huh. I met these people. Actually, when I was in um, Bucharest last, uh, the week before last, uh, this guy was like, oh, our company makes uh, machines for um, craft brewers. So we like people who have like craft breweries and are brewing craft beers, we make the machines that they use to brew the beers. And I was like, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Huh. Of course, not, of course there not, are companies that do that. that. But it's like, but that's like, that's like their company. And I was like, that's amazing. And then the really cool thing is that they were able to uh, come up with a really cool brand story which wasn't like we're the machines that make you the thing. It was more like we help people craft their lives or something like really cool yeah. and innovative so that it wasn't so that they were like, we, we help you like craft your company. And so they help people like make it so that they can have successful companies that can grow and, you know, employ other people and all this stuff. And I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You no. Know, so your friend probably does something that's really valuable. She just hasn't gotten in touch with the people that it's, it's valuable to. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I think that could be the case. You know, it's interesting when I meet people like you're just talking about the craft beer guy. Uh, I always, <laughs> always ask them like, so are there like craft beer, uh, machine 
uh, conferences. They're like, and they're always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and are there like these people that speak at it all the time? And like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, tell me about like, what are there two different people that disagree in the industry? Oh, for sure. Like one person thinks it should totally be done this way. The other person, there's a whole school of thought the other way. And there's podcasts about it. Somebody's writing a book about it. And I'm like, yeah, I know <laughs> it's the same, whether it's like craft beer or like MRI scanners or whatever it is, right? There is always mm-hmm. the same sort of dynamic that we have in our industry and just mm-hmm. every industry. And they're all talking to each other and none of us are talking to other industries, which is probably the problem. But um, it is actually one of the problems. Yeah, it's I so, so true because we could we could actually probably solve problems better and faster if we had more cross-pollination. There's a great set of books, all the books, frankly, by Stephen Johnson. You know, Stephen Johnson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his books. Yeah, where good um, ideas come from and all yeah, that Yeah, especially that one where good ideas come from. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But yeah, for sure, that's the, his whole point is, you know, mm-hmm. cross, cross-pollination among disciplines is where so much creativity comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love his story about the, the, um, the building at uh, MIT which I can't remember building 42 or I think it was uh-huh. that uh, do you, you remember that story where that's like where like Bose uh, audio came from. That's where um, Noam Chomsky like uh-huh. got down with all of his stuff. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's because there were all of these, there was like a nuclear collider in there and all this stuff. And there were all these like random departments thrown in this building because they didn't have room for them anywhere else on campus. And then it became like the most innovative place on campus because it was all of these different people kind of at random put together, but then they were cross-pollinating each other and cross-pollinating their ideas. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great story. I'll put a link again. I'll put a link to that note in the show notes. Uh, let me tell you like one other thing that I do around this and, mm. and, and you can judge me on that. I think that's uh, no right. judgment. <laughs> there is no judgment here. This is a safe place. Uh, deadlines. Yeah. I go, I go seek out artificial deadlines. If there's like, mm-hmm. like if I have a big talk coming up and I want new stuff for it, I will find a small talk earlier to try to do, you know, like I'll just like, uh, there's some small, I'll come to your company and I'll do it, you know, to, right. f- because I guess, and it's not quite deadlines. I think it's just accountability. It is mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to let them down and it feels a little bit about like externalizing my motivation. And I don't know if that's necessarily a, a healthy thing, but it is the way that I do it. And, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've had an experience with stuff like that. <laughs> Are you kidding? Like I wrote the book on it. And I like, <laughs> I wrote this. So I wrote this. So total, like not necessarily a non sequitur, but somewhat tangential, but definitely related. So I wrote an article, uh, several years back for a web standard Sherpa, uh, mm-hmm. website that was called breaking the perfectionism, procrastination, infinite loop. Say that uh, five times fast. Uh, and the Article was supposed to originally, like when it, you know, I spec'd it out and everything. Um, they were like, you know, 700 words, maybe a thousand. I was like, okay, cool, I can do that. And they're like, and it's due on this date. And I was like, great. So when the article was done, it was 2,100 words, and I got it to them two weeks after the deadline. So uh, you can see that it was something that I desperately needed and uh, great tips and stuff in there. But definitely uh, procrastination is one of my um, still a bit of an Achilles heel. But one of the things is, and I do the same thing. I try to make, I try to make artificial deadlines for myself, knowing that I'm deadline driven, but, uh, but it's still, it still comes down to that. But I think it's, you know, in some ways, I don't know about you, but I, I end up having this kind of like time just feels so expansive, right? It's oh, yeah. like, and, and I also, I also found this working on my LinkedIn learning course when I had three months to work on it, I was like, okay, well I'll work on like, a script a day. And then I worked on the script and I, you know, futzed over it and I did like table readings with people and I was going to go back and fix this and that and the other thing. And man, when it came down to the wire, I was like, okay, the script needs to be two pages. This is good. I did like out, read out loud. I was like, great, boom, put it in the box. Let's go. <laughs> and it made it so in a lot of ways, having the shortened period of time actually made me kind of get over my perfectionism and because I didn't have as much time to like, you know, finesse it and think about it and worry over it and all this stuff. So in some ways I kind of feel like 
sometimes it can be helpful to have this kind of shortened period of time because it it actually sometimes will help you get around your inner critic because you don't have time to be second guessing yourself and questioning yourself and being insecure about, you know, what you're capable of doing. You're like, I have to get this done. And sometimes you, you end up still, you know, you still end up doing quality work because that's what we do. We do quality work. And, um, yeah, could it have been better? Maybe. And maybe not, you know, sometimes worrying over something, you know, you've, you've had it where like somebody cooks something and they're like, so, trying to pay so much attention to detail and making it perfect that it didn't come out as well as Mm. when somebody just threw something together. Mm. Mm. I got like a carrot and a tomato and half an onion and some (laughs) rosemary that I picked off of a bush and like, you know, half a can of tomato paste. Let's, let's just, let's just make it work. Let's make it work. I was like, that was best pasta I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A lot of what we've been talking about so far has been, I think framed around a person sitting at a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm very interested and in, could probably be a whole other uh, episode <laughs> of the podcast is, Part it, yeah, <laughs> right. But is enabling creativity in, in collaborative groups. environments and groups. Yes. Right. Yes, and yes. that, the, 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 I've always been particularly interested in it from a, uh, like a leading perspective, which is what can I do here to make this room and make everybody in this room to help them all feel as safe as possible so that they feel like they can be vulnerable without criticism, right? Mm -hmm. Without repercussion, without punishment for something like being called stupid or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And that goes from the really obvious down to just the micro, like every little detail that can go into shutting somebody down. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that comes up all the time in the work that you do. It comes up all the time. And I, you know, I do a lot of work in workshops and stuff like that to not only to create a space where people feel okay saying, you know, expressing themselves, sharing their ideas, giving themselves permission to quote, look stupid, unquote, because everybody's looking stupid. And one of the things that's helped me the most with that is having a bit of training in improv. Mm. And so I use a technique that's called applied improvisation. And, um, and that is basically taking like an improv approach, the same kind of exercises that you would use as improv warmups and stuff like that, that people use before they go and they do actual, you know, improv on stages and using that and applying them in corporate environments and, you know, in training environments and stuff. And so, you know, having a set of ground rules where it's like, look, like, just like you said to me, you know, at the beginning, there's no stupid ideas, there's no this, but then actually doing exercises where, everybody has to get in sync with each other. And there's a lot of like kind of really cool call and response type of things. Mm. And then, um, and then using a yes and approach to stuff. So if somebody comes up with an idea, it's never no. And I don't care what you think about the idea inside of your head. You always yes. And it, you know, yes, we can do that. And we can also add this one thing. Oh, well, you know, well, yes, we can do that. And we can add this. And there's never a yes, but there's never a no. Right. It's always yes and. And I think that, you know, what I've found is, is that when people start getting into that mind frame, it really does change the dynamic really dramatically. And then, and people do start feeling safe and they do start feeling heard and they do start feeling seen. And the other thing that I teach is active listening so that, um, you know, I do a set of exercises where people actually really have to listen to each other. They really have to, there's a great, um, exercise called last letter conversation where you have to, the last letter of the sentence of the person that, that you're talking to the last letter of the word last letter of the last Mm. word that they used in the sentence has to be the first letter of the first word in your sentence. Mm -hmm. So if you said something like, have you seen that? I would say, uh, I would say those chiclets were delicious. (laughs) And then, you know, and then it would just, it would go on from that, but you have to like really pay attention attention. and listen to what the person's saying and then, you know, formulate what you're saying. And so it makes you more present and not focused on what your, what your agenda is and what you think you're trying to put forth and say, it makes you really listen to people. So, and, and to let go and just say the first thing that comes into your mind and not, not, you know, worry about feeling stupid for saying something about exactly. chiclets. 
for exactly you know, like just say, are, it, just say it right they're delicious some chiclets can be delicious and important so <laughs> so yeah so so i so i do that kind of stuff and i love you know i then especially you know as a person who's you know a speaker and 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 writing and all of this stuff i mean i interact with people when i'm on stage or afterwards, but a lot of the work that I do leading up to speaking engagements and stuff like that is very solitary. Yeah. And so it was very wonderful to have this experience of doing this course and having a team and working with people and really having, you know, really getting a chance to work in a more collaborative environment and, um, and everything. And it was wonderful to, to be able to really co-create with, the people on my team and to come up with something where everybody collectively was able to add their piece to it and, and make it unique and and special. Wonderful. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, your book is called Mm. banish your inner critic. Uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend it. I found it, um, super accessible, like really, I, you know, kind of page to page, like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is helpful. Um, with lots of activities and, and lots of opportunity re- for reflection. I like that too. With uh, your advice of writing on paper. I like that a lot. I've been doing a lot more of that now. Uh, really? It, yeah, oh, yes, I have. I have, in fact, this is, here's a big confession. I do all of my to-dos now in a notebook. Really? Yeah, I've used every puzzle, and I love a lot of them. Like Todoist, I thought it was a phenomenal tool in the Mac and my iPhone and and whatnot. However, uh, I've switched, and it's all on paper now uh, because the act of writing helps me remember. And exactly, and I go th- and it, and it feels like taking ten minutes at the beginning and end of my day to go through and kind of from this page copy to this page and reprioritize and do those things as this 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 meditative mm-hmm. exercise and a real kind of bookends like, Oh, I'm starting now. This is my work now. It's mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. I closed the New York times window and I opened the to do window, you know, like it feels like, all right, it's, I'm stepping away I'm, and I'm starting now. Now work happens. So, mm-hmm. um, your, your notion in the book of like step away from the book and write down the answers to these questions and things like that. I think a really, really effective way to be mindful and, and, and start to affect some change. Wonderful. I am so glad that you got some value out of the book. That just, that makes me really happy. Uh, yeah, well, and I would recommend it to people too. So, uh, go take a look. The link is in the show notes. Uh, you are at, uh, Denise Jacobs at Twitter and Instagram. Um, Denise Mm -hmm. R Jacobs at LinkedIn. So we can follow you there as well. Uh, and you are the founder and CEO of the creative dose. That is the company, uh, that you use as a vehicle for all of this, um, consulting and working with people on creativity. Exactly. Fantastic. Denise, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fantastic. Oh, no, this was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.